Hey, have you got bare walls at home or in your office? Do you want to surround yourself with the majesty and inspiration of our mountains? I'm talking truly incredible photography of Western North Carolina landscapes. RedRockPhotoNC.com. Stay tuned for details. It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What's going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I do appreciate it. The show is made possible by patrons such as Caddy and Manuel and Stephen, Marlon, Lori, Deborah, and Robin, and Mark, and Kristen, Linda, and Taylor, and Sarah. I appreciate the support. Literally couldn't do it without you. I appreciate it. Um, law enforcement agencies across North Carolina are being asked to enact new policies surrounding criminal justice reform recommendations. Governor Roy Cooper's Task Force for Racial Equity in criminal justice is recommending all agencies enact three new policies. Uh, joining me now is Jesse Kelly. She is the manager of criminal justice and civil liberties at R Street, uh, R Street Institute. And uh, welcome to the show. Jesse, thanks for making time for me today. I do appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Sure. So the task force is recommending, first of all, we'll also cover some police reform uh, issues in general nationally. But for North Carolina, the task force is recommending that all state law enforcement agencies enact a policy articulating a duty to intervene and report in any case where a law enforcement officer may be a witness to what they know to be an excessive use of force or other abuse of a suspect or arrestee. So I've heard a little bit about these duties, uh, this duty to intervene idea. Are, are, is this idea being implemented anywhere? And if so, is it being, is it successful? Is this generally a, a good policy or is it uh, sort of toothless? Right. So you were exactly right when you classify the duty to intervene as this rule to break this blue wall of silence that we also hear quite a bit about and report these incidents of bad behavior to supervisors. And some departments across the country are uh, working on this. In 2016, the Minneapolis Police Department added a duty to intervene. Other departments have incorporated similar policies. Uh, the Baltimore Police Department in Maryland, they've been using, using the ethical policing is courageous, the EPIC program. And they've had some success reporting uh, using excessive force by, by different officers. But really what this gets to the heart of is trying to provide more accountability between officers and in departments so we don't have those bad actors continuing, continuing to police our streets. And so uh, and you say there's some there's some evidence that it is successful. Yes, it provides that amount of accountability and mm. it's not going back and sort of tattletaling or being the hall monitor. It's truly making police departments stronger by holding one another accountable. And when that happens, you have supervisors being able to come in and, you know, do whatever they think is necessary to stop the bad behavior from continuing. And that's really the goal that we want to see with all of these different police reforms is local police departments and their supervision, whether that be, you know, a chief or that be the unions, have to come in and really reform the way that police on the ground are working and thinking about how they use force and specifically deadly force. So I guess I should back up a step. Why, why don't police officers stop their colleagues from engaging in bad behavior? 
Right. Well, right now, in most cases, there is no rule that requires that. And a lot of it has to do with the recruiting and training elements of local police departments. So there's a program called this, this field training officer program. And you have probably seen this on TV and not really understood what you were seeing. But there's a more senior cop alongside a rookie and and the older cop sort of goes to the rookie. I'll teach you what it's like to be a cop. And so the rookie follows along with that older field training officer's perspective. And, and ultimately, that older police officer's duty or his goal is to teach the younger officer what it means to be a local police officer in that community. Well, what's happening is that these younger officers are maybe being trained incorrectly. They're seeing some misuse of force by these older, more senior officers. So there's a fear there to sort of stop someone that is designated as your mentor for doing something that you perceive to be bad. But when police departments affirmatively require an officer to have a duty to intervene, it removes that bit of imbalance of power that might be there and really allows everyone working as a police officer to make sure the department can be stronger. One of the other things, I guess, uh, falling under the category of bad behavior, one of the things that the task force is also recommending is that all state law enforcement agencies enact a use of force policy that at a minimum prohibits neck holds. Uh, And this is, I think, obviously right a response to the George Floyd death. Exactly. And that is really important because local police officers should have a multitude of different tools in their belt when it comes to dealing with different suspects or dealing with people in the community who may have had some interaction with the police. There shouldn't be this level of aggression that is asserted right away. That's why you have also seen in part of this police reform discussion, this idea of de-escalation requirements and, and training on racial biases and how to go about taking a situation down where you don't have to get into that kind of physical or use of force proposition, right? So the restraining the use of neck holds and choke holds is really important for officers because it is going to allow them to use sort of their communication skills first. And then if a situation turns dangerous, they should ultimately have another plan rather than, you know, choking out a suspect. Yeah. Um, Have you ever heard of um, uh, the right to resist this? There is a I was informed of this in Asheville a couple of years ago. We had an officer who uh, who put a jaywalker in a in a chokehold like this, and uh, I think it made national news and whatnot because there was video that got leaked about it. And um, in the in the discussion after the fact, I, I became aware in talking with people in the community that there is a uh, there is a belief that you have a right to resist and. I had never heard of this before. Are you aware of this sentiment and how it sort of manifests in interactions with law enforcement? Sure, yes. You are absolutely right. This uh, idea that U.S. citizens have the right to resist an unlawful arrest has been floating around for a while, and it's mostly false. In a minority of U.S. states, the law allows for the possibility that resisting an unlawful arrest is legally justified in some circumstances, but... You know, it's never a good idea to get any of your legal advice from social media, right? Right. (laughs) Uh, You don't say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Throughout most of the United States, there's just no right 
to resist unlawful arrest, even in places where the law allows for the possibility of such a right, it's just really limited. And usually, if you do feel like you're being detained unlawfully, um, being cooperative is going to be your your best route to escape that detention. Yeah, it it it's uh, it reminds me of advice I got. You know, the time to argue whether or not you were breaking the law is to the judge, not to the cop. Uh, just because, generally speaking, uh, you're not going to convince the cop that his decision was wrong. <laughs> right, if he right, thinks, right. If he thinks and, uh, you're breaking the law, yeah. Exactly. I was a former criminal defense attorney before I started working in policy, and I would tell my clients all the time that you cannot talk yourself out of trouble, but you can very easily talk yourself into more trouble. Oh, that's great advice. Um, and so what then in the uh, in the realm of police reforms, uh, if you had to rank sort of like the thing that we need to do, what would it be first and foremost, if you could only pick one reform? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I'll sort of start by saying there's been this, I guess, hashtag circulating the eight can't wait. And it's these eight rules, you know, the duty to intervene rule is one of those. This de-escalation requirement is one of those. But what I think is very important is a comprehensive reporting requirement, meaning that officers need to report each time they use force or they threaten to use force against a civilian. Not only is that going to hold police officers accountable, it will also protect the community and protect police departments. Because not only will you have body cam records and you will have other officers on the scene sort of saying what the incident was and sharing their perspective on it. You'll have the officer himself who was using force or chose to use force or threatened force reporting why they did that. And I, I think that just increasing that accountability level is a really important thing that all local departments can do. And it's completely free. It's just an easy, uh, good, solid pragmatic fix to part of this bigger policing issue it's one of the issues that's been going on for years i remember first encountering it probably gosh i don't know 20 years ago reading through like the fbi's ucr the the reporting of, of the different city stats and stuff and reading the footnotes like some cities don't give us all this data and i thought well that's odd <laughs> if you're like it seems to me like everybody should be collecting the data and from what i understand it really hasn't gotten a lot well it's gotten somewhat better but there's a lot of private and nonprofit uh, organizations as i understand that are now trying to track a lot of this information because the, the the government agencies, the police departments, they're actually not tracking a lot of this information and making it publicly available. Absolutely. And I would take that even one step further and say that it needs to be in some sort of software database that can be searchable. Um, now in more rural states or in just in bigger states, like Texas is a great example, you have some counties that still almost exclusively deal in paper, mm -hmm. paperwork. Um, so it's really hard to go back through and do a comprehensive study of data when your data is not in any kind of software that's searchable. More with Jesse Kelly in a minute. First, if you are a law enforcement officer and you are thinking about buying or selling a home, did you know that you can keep more of your own money if you use Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team? Buying or selling, she's the only agent that I would use. You should too, especially if you are a law enforcement officer, a firefighter, a healthcare professional, an educator, uh, or a member of the military, veteran, active duty, or retired. Uh, you can keep 25% of the realtor commissions. And this is the Homes for Heroes program. There is only one Homes for Heroes agent in Asheville. It is Rowena Patton. And uh, you should give her a call. 333-4483. That's 333-4483. MountainHomeHunt.com. And start packing.
Jesse Kelly is joining us. Uh, she is responsible for overseeing the R Street Institute's criminal justice implementation efforts uh, across the U.S. at both the federal and state levels. And uh, so what about this idea of legal immunity that the U.S. Supreme Court provided to police officers as well as other government workers? Is this uh, a silver bullet of sorts to kind of rein in uh, bad cops? Well, it could be. So qualified immunity is a legal doctrine that bars individuals from recovering monetary damages when a law enforcement officer has violated their constitutional rights. So once a civil rights lawsuit has been filed against a police officer, that officer can claim qualified immunity as a defense for their alleged misconduct. And you hit the nail on the head, right? The Supreme Court has taken qualified immunity so far that it bars almost every action, right? Police are protected in almost every situation. And some people believe that qualified immunity is necessary for police officers to be able to do their jobs and that it protects officers who are forced to make those split-second decisions. But in my opinion, in a lot of people's opinion, it also removes too much individual responsibility. How so? Right. So an officer, like I said earlier, you know, should have all these tools in their tool belt. So you should be thoughtful when you're confronted with a suspect or a situation. And instead of making a split second decision to violate someone else's civil rights, those split second decisions should be different de-escalation based choices. And then that does come back again um, to the training aspect of things. So Ending or limiting qualified immunity certainly is one piece of police reform, but it is not going to be the answer that fixes everything. Different recruiting and training techniques and giving police officers the right tools to use in the right places is really going to be where you see some big shifts in how we think about policing. Um, what a, uh, what of the idea that uh, it's very difficult to get rid of bad cops because of protections that they enjoy either through their union or through civil service review boards and the like? Yes. So police unions, you know, it is their function to bargain to get the best results for police officers. And so in every other you know, situation that a union comes involved in, there is an agent or representative on your behalf articulating for you. And that's what police officers enjoy as well. In states that don't have unions, you do still have this blue wall of silence where police officers will protect police officers to ensure um, that they are not you know, mistreated by the media or, you know, in some cases that they don't have to be called to court to testify to some of the bad acts that they're doing. Um, but then the bigger problem is that there is no way to track officers from jurisdiction to jurisdiction that is without fail, right? So if an officer is fired from one police department, he can move 20 miles down the road, apply for a job in, in the next city, and he's hired as a police officer there. And so it hasn't broken the cycle and it hasn't fixed the problem. It's just relocated the problem. So if there were some way, and, and you know, union national unions are discussing this, that there is this registry of officers um, who were fired for calls for doing some of these unnecessary use of force acts or other bad acts in the line of duty. And I think that that could be a critical component. But of course, you know, uh, we value our freedom and individual liberty. And so you, anytime you start talking about, you know, registration yeah. or, lists or things <laughs> like that, 
um, it's got to be done with a very measured eye and close look at how that's actually going to work in real time. Right. It's sort of like the no fly list uh, how do you, or the gun registry list. You know, how do you get on? How do you get off? Who makes that decision? What's the appeals process? Um, yeah, because I could see. I could see it becoming uh, a very damaging thing if you get on this list erroneously for some reason, uh, or um, even rightfully so. But that I mean, can people change, uh, or is that a job that you know one mistake and that's too much, and you don't ever get exactly. to do that job again? Right, and and truly, that's kind of why I work in criminal justice reform at all. I want everyone to be as successful as their individual capacity allows, and and I don't care if that is a person with a criminal history record or a person who is a law enforcement officer who may have made a mistake in the line of duty. Right, if you can better yourself and put yourself in a position to do your job successfully and live in our community, and we can all work together, then that is the point in place and time that I think we should all be trying to achieve. Right, because some of this, and I've heard some criticism from law enforcement officers who say, look, everybody's just trying to sort of Monday morning quarterback what we had to do in a split second decision. And sure, it's easy to, you know, look at it now and look at all the different angles on the video and everything else. But, you know, I didn't have that luxury when I was presented with this person and this threat assessment and I had to make a split second decision, for example. And to that extent, like, I'm sympathetic to that argument because I don't know how I would react. And I've seen videos of, uh, you know, uh, local community activists and leaders that go and do some training with the cops and they give them sort of the scenario like, would you shoot? Would you not shoot? And then they, you know, they end up dead most of the time because they don't know uh, they they can't they can't uh, assess the threat or risk appropriately. So how much of it is just us trying to to micromanage after the fact? Certainly there is an element of that, and you do have to respect police officers for putting themselves in that situation where their lives could be in danger every day. And and certainly people, when you're talking about police reform, can't be ignorant to that really critical point of it. And what I think is going to be most helpful there is if community policing and the idea of the community working with police officers and police officers reverting back to their mission of protecting and serving the community um, that's, that's really going to have to be what changes policing in our society. This idea of coming together with the same goals in mind, using different municipal agencies, businesses, citizens, nonprofit groups, and police officers to make sure that people who are suffering from maybe a mental illness and they're having an episode that they are not arrested or shot, but rather they get the appropriate services for what they need at the specific time. And and I understand, I do wanna you know, kind of call out myself there. A lot of people are saying that uh, mental health is a really big crisis and that's what police officers face a lot. And that's true, but there are times that police officers are facing a person who is committing a crime uh, with intent and with intent to commit violence. And in that situation, police officers have to feel like they have the autonomy and the tools and skills and training to be able to do their job successfully. So let me then uh, take all of this and turn your attention to Portland, (laughs) what we're seeing out of Portland. Um, Well, I'll just ask, what's your general assessment of what we've witnessed, uh, at least on the video that I've seen over the last uh, two weeks or so? Right. And um, I think that it is a visual example of the over-militarization of police and even maybe federal agencies. So there should be a distinct difference between the U.S. military and local police departments and sheriff's offices. 
And right now, there's this program the federal government has, you know, continued for a number of years called the 10, uh, Section 1033 program, which allows decommissioned uh, federal military equipment to be transferred to local police departments. So you are seeing this rise of tanks and assault weapons and other weapons of war being employed in our communities by local police officers. And that that is a real problem because I mentioned, you know, we all have this idea that the police are there to protect and serve, but what's happening is that tr they're transitioning to a more militaristic mindset of, you know, protect and attack where they have tactical gear, they're viewing uh, other American citizens as the enemy rather than as a community they should be serving. Um, so I think that there's a little bit of a disconnect between what weapons are needed by police departments and what weapons of war should remain with the military. Um, Jesse Kelly is the uh, manager for criminal justice and civil liberties, uh, as well as uh, the manager of government affairs for the R Street Institute. And I appreciate you taking some time with us today. Is there anything else I should ask you uh, that you want to add that you think is important or interesting for folks to know before I let you go? Thanks. I think that the federal government, while you know a comprehensive federal policing bill has kind of been put on the back burner, they are taking on some really hard questions to look at what they can do piecemeal. And we mentioned qualified immunity. There are a couple of bills that are still alive there. And then, um, you know, the National Defense Authorization Act, that's uh, coming up to be reaffirmed in the next couple of weeks. So I'm watching that space. It's just, it's a really interesting time to be having these conversations. And I appreciate you bringing it up and your listeners for being willing to, you know, hear and learn. It's really um, it could be a really impactful time in our country. Jesse Kelly, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you spending it with me. Thanks. Speaking of how you spend your time, how do you spend your time, business owners, uh, trying to keep the place clean in these COVID times? How, like, are you wiping every surface down all day long, every day? Uh, it's a lot of work. I have a solution. The Karcher Misting System with Vital Oxide Disinfectant. It is from General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. And uh, think about it, if you're a, a school or a child care facility, uh, maybe you're a real estate agent doing open houses, Airbnb owners, homeowners too, uh, as well as churches and apartment management, um, hair salons, like any place that is open that needs to do disinfecting and sanitizing, you need the Karcher Misting System with Vital Oxide Disinfectant. It is safe for kids and pets and food contact services. It uses a hospital-grade, all-in-one disinfectant, sanitizer, and deodorizer. This is EPA approved. Uh, it's germicidal. It kills 99.9% .9 of infection-causing bacteria and viruses. You don't need to rinse afterwards. It's non-toxic. It's hypoallergenic. It is odorless, colorless, and 100% biodegradable. And it's super easy to roll this thing around. It's on four independent wheels. It's like the size of a shop vac, and uh, it's cordless. And you just mist you spray the mister it's fantastic the karcher misting system from general equipment rental you rent it once and it keeps the area sanitized for up to 10 days and then you just spot clean where you need to the karcher mister is at general equipment rental in weaverville it's at the intersection of merriman avenue and reams creek road family owned and operated for three generations meeting all of your equipment rental needs from construction and earth moving to lawn and garden, whatever the project is, General Equipment Rental has the tool for you. All right, go to generalrents.com slash Pete, and you'll get a coupon for two free cloth face coverings. generalrents.com slash Pete. 
General Equipment Rental in Weaverville, generalrents.com. Think outside your toolbox. Well, one of the tools in Donald Trump's toolbox when it comes to fighting crime is to send federal authorities to cities that uh, need help, whether they want it or not. (laughs) And President Trump announced that he's going to be sending federal agents to Chicago and to Albuquerque, New Mexico, to help combat rising crime, expanding the administration's intervention into local enforcement as he runs for re-election under a law and order mantle. This is the AP uh, report, as published in the North State Journal. This is, of course, the kind of coverage that you get when discussing any matter that has to do with Donald Trump. For example, CNN's Caitlin Collins at a press conference about a week ago. uh, I've been sitting on this audio just waiting for the right time to play it, and this seems like the right time. Caitlin Collins from CNN. And take a listen to her question in regards to the sending of federal authorities into these cities. In 2016, you said it was President Obama's fault that homicides were up in Chicago. So why was it the president's fault then, but it's not your fault now? Uh, Chicago is a disaster. The mayor is saying, don't come in. The mayor is telling us not to come in. At some point, we can void that if we have to, but we and we may have to at some, because it's out of control. I assume she's saying that for political reasons. I think it's negative political reasons. She's a uh, she's a Democrat. I'm going to be nice. She's a Democrat. She's making a big mistake. People are dying in Chicago and other cities, and we can solve the problem. They have to ask us, but we can solve the problem. Why was it President Obama's fault in 2016? You credited it as because him. Because President Obama was invited in, and he did a poor job. President Obama could have gone into Chicago. He could have solved the problem, and he didn't. In our case, they don't want us in. We can solve the problem very easily. We're equipped with the best equipment, the best people. And you see what we're doing. I mean, Portland was coming down. It was busting at the seams. And we went in and protected all the federal buildings. Those federal buildings are totally protected. But And we had to do that. And Portland's a very different place than Chicago. But Chicago should be calling us, and so should Philadelphia and Detroit and others, to go in and really help them. Because when you're losing many people a weekend, many, many people, you see the same numbers as I do, when you're losing these people, They should call us and they should say, come on in. And it's incredible to me, but they're not doing it. At some point they will. At some point we may have no other choice but to go in. All right. So that's Trump like a week ago at a press conference. He painted Democrat-led cities as out of control. And according to the AP, he lashed out at the radical left, which he blamed for rising violence in some cities. Which which is true, right? That Like that part is true. (laughs) This is... In the discussion uh, on uh, newsroom bias and this uh, more uh, uh, this more recent phenomenon of of reporters, you know, making their opinions known, basically in the stories, we talked about it with the uh, the Harper's letter and the New York Times issue and all that. Um, this is this article is written what is in what is referred to as the uh, the view from nowhere is what they call it. Critics call it the view from nowhere that that uh, you're not. You're not telling people the truth. You're just saying he said this, she said that, and I'm done. And that's the way this is being covered. Um, Whereas, like, uh, a lot of times you'll hear, you know, President Trump said without any evidence, like that kind of interjection, that's sort of the other, uh, that's the other approach, not a view from nowhere, uh, not sort of a straight, you know, he said, she said, because like, I think the view from nowhere is, I think it's dismissive. I think it's, um, it's pejorative. Uh, It's derogatory. 
it's used to try to shame people into doing what is I consider to be a more professional job, where they they say these people are saying this and these people are saying that, and there's still obvious areas where you can interject your bias. I'm not saying that, but I think this is a more uh, it's a more objective approach. Now, the critics of this will say it's a less honest approach because uh, you're not telling people the truth and you need to like beat them over the head because I guess people are too stupid to understand what it is they're reading. So you need to tell them, you know, orange man bad. Um, Trump and the attorney general, William Barr, um, they spoke only of Chicago and Albuquerque, but the White House said in a later press release uh, last week, that the program would be expanded in the next few weeks into Cleveland, Detroit, and Milwaukee. Crime began surging in some cities when stay-at-home orders lifted. Criminal justice experts seeking answers have pointed to the unprecedented moment. This is why crime is spiking. A pandemic that has killed over 140,000 Americans, historic unemployment, a mass reckoning over race and police brutality, Intense stress and even the weather, because the, you know summer crime usually goes up in the summertime. Compared with other years, crime in 2020 though is down overall. Well, yeah, when you lock everybody in their houses for six months, like, <laughs> don't you think the crime rate does go down? Now, what's interesting to me is not mentioned in any of the rundown here as to what might be driving all of the the crime increases. Not mentioned. Left wing agitators. Uh, there were, you know, Democrats constant uh, marching and protesting and undermining uh, the rule of law and peace uh, because they refused to accept the results of the 2020 election. Not, I mean, honestly, my entire adult life, Democrats have never accepted the results of a presidential election unless they win. Um, it started in 2000. It, it's sincerely like in 2000 when George W. Bush, uh, a.k.a. Hitler, when he won and they were like, uh, oh, it's Florida. It's the hanging chads. He stole the election. Remember that? He stole the election. And so what did Democrats do then in response? Well, in North Carolina, this is 2000, in North Carolina, they started the um, the electronic voting machines, right? That was the response. We need to make sure that these hanging chads can't ever be uh, a problem for us. And so they started implementing all of these touchscreen voting machines. I was down in Mecklenburg County at the time, and that's what I uh, covered as a reporter all of these uh, uh, board of elections meetings where they were approving the machines and all of this. Yeah, so we had to do it in order to protect the vote. This was the Democrats' response uh, in North Carolina to not accepting the 2020 election results. There had to be a reason. It's the voting process, and so we'll come up with a new voting process. And now, by the way, now they're saying we got to get rid of all these voting machines. Um, so in 2004, when Bush beat John Kerry, they said that John Kerry got swift boated, right? That was the reason. That's the only reason he won, right? Again, not accepting the outcome of the election, but also they blamed the voting machines. They said uh, that, oh, the, the, the machine switched all the votes for Bush, okay? So then what? Then we've got, uh, then we got Barack Obama for two years or two terms, and then along comes Trump. He wins the Electoral College, loses the popular vote. And again, they don't accept the results of this election. This is, it's absurd, okay? They're children. You guys are acting like children. These are the results of the election. And if you are unwilling to abide the election results, then you need to find someplace else to live. 
because that's the it is one of the core components of our system, which is the peaceable transfer of power after an election. And if you guys can't play by that rule, that one rule, if you can't play by that rule, get out. Get out. All right, so sending federal agents to help localities is not uncommon, according to Attorney General William Barr. Uh, He announced a similar surge effort in December, and they sent uh, these authorities to seven cities that had spiking violence. DHS officers have already been dispatched into Portland, Oregon, where they are protecting federal property. Local authorities have complained in Portland that agents have exacerbated tensions on the streets while residents have accused the government of violating their constitutional rights. Indeed, civil unrest escalated after federal agents were falsely accused of whisking people away in unmarked cars with probable cause. I want to give the AP credit here because they include this as the primary reason that unrest broke out, and it was on, it was based on a lie, a propaganda lie by Antifa and these leftist communist agitators, right? And it was amplified by a compliant, if not complicit, media apparatus, right? That's what happened. This this lie that these you know stormtroopers are are kidnapping people off the streets. It did not happen. It did not happen. But that is what people believe, because they want to believe it. They want to believe it. Here's something you can believe for certain, for sure. It is that Mattress Man has got great mattresses and great deals on those great mattresses. And you can go into any of the four locations in the Asheville area, Asheville, Arden, Hendersonville. Uh, They do ship nationwide, uh, and uh, they have local five-star delivery service. And uh, they've got the Biltmore line by Restonic which is made in Fayetteville, and these are the mattresses that are only available um, at Mattress Man, but also in the Biltmore. So you can that's one of two places you can get one. I don't know if the Biltmore will sell you one of the Biltmore Hotel and they're in. I'm not sure if they're going to sell you one of their mattresses. <laughs> I don't think that's what they do there, but Mattress Man does, and they got a great deal. Zero, zero, zero deal, the triple zero deal. I've been talking about it for a while. Zero down, 0% interest for up to 24 months and zero payments for 90 days. You can't lose here. They also have a great deal on Queen Gel Memory Foam Mattresses. Hot deals to keep you cool. This is the cooling gel memory foam. $3.99 for this mattress. Uh, Also, get a free bedding bundle, including sheets, protector, and pillows with the purchase of select mattresses. All right, so... uh, Either go to their website, mattressmanstores.com, or uh, head on down to one of their stores where they are practicing all of the uh, the safety protocols of wiping stuff down and single-use pillow covers and all of that. Uh, remember, they have the 120-day comfort guarantee. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. In New Mexico, Democratic uh, State Senator Martin Heinrich, 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 uh, he called on the county sheriff, Manny Gonzalez, to resign from attending the White House because he attended the White House event where they announced that some of these federal agents were going to be going into Albuquerque to help them with their spiking violence. And this is what this Democratic state senator out of New Mexico said, quote, instead of collaborating with the Albuquerque Police Department, the sheriff is inviting the president's stormtroopers into Albuquerque. <laughs> right. Yeah, these are not serious people. And in fact, this is reckless and dangerous uh, uh, narrative crafting is what it is. And look, 
I understand because I have the same sort of concern. Part of me is very uneasy uh, about federal authorities being dispatched. Okay, but I'm not sure what else to do if you have local police, local authorities that are refusing to protect federal property or refusing to enforce law. Right. You essentially have an insurrection, which is it's kind of comical to me. You hear all of these people that are, you know, uh, rioting through the streets of Portland. And, you know, they're saying that, you know, federal troops or federal uh, agents, you know, out, get the feds out of Portland and all this. Like it's an anti-federal government narrative that they are making here. Uh, These are the same people, by the way, who uh, want to tear down all of the statues to the racist uh, confederacy. Right. Which also was making the argument of get the federal government out. Right. I mean, it was for slavery, but you're saying the same thing and you call those people traitors. So why wouldn't that same label apply to you guys? I just asked the question. I just asked the question. Um, Acting Homeland Secretary, uh, Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf says uh, there is a difference between the mission in Portland, which is to protect federal property, uh, uh, versus the surges in Kansas City and Chicago and Albuquerque. Uh, Those are to help stop the violence. Now, speaking of Chicago, I don't know. So this this mayor, she's just a train wreck. Lori Lightfoot, (laughs) she... Uh, she always looks like you caught her by surprise. Have you seen a picture of this woman? She, I'm sorry, but she does. Like every time I see it, she's always like, oh, what? Hey. Anyway, uh, she expressed agreement with President Trump's plan now to deploy federal police to the city after a phone call with Trump. Uh, Trump has ordered the Department of Homeland Security to send 200 officers to Chicago, which recorded an abnormally high number of shootings over the past two months. The aim here is to quell the surging violence. Lightfoot, according to the National Review, had previously rejected the deployment of federal police into Chicago. She wrote on Twitter just last week, quote, under no circumstances will I allow Donald Trump's troops to come to Chicago and terrorize our residents. Again, narrative crafting. They need Trump to be the fascist because this is what their base believes Trump to be. And so when Trump says, look, you guys are not like it makes you wonder. And and this goes to sort of what uh, remember yesterday when I was talking about Matt Taibbi and his comment about newsrooms and reporters that are afraid to pitch stories because they don't want to paint a target on their own backs uh, among their more woke and politically engaged newsroom colleagues, uh, as well as uh, you know activists in the community at large, and so they don't they don't even bring a story to their editors to pitch. And by the way, if you're a reporter, um, you have to pitch stories. That's part of the job. You got to go to the editors and be like, "Hey, I got this story idea. I want to chase this down." Because the editors will ask you. Like some of them require you to have a certain number of stories to bring every single day. So you're constantly looking for leads. And when you go in there and pitch a story uh, and the story like that Taibbi referenced uh, and we quoted from yesterday's show was uh, a reporter who thought it was an interesting story to go talk to a pharmacy owner, local pharmacy that had to that got damaged in riots and now they couldn't provide medicine to the, the sick and the elderly that their customers and they they were afraid to pitch that story. Now, think about that. You're afraid to even pitch the story. 
and that's what's happening in newsrooms. You have people who are afraid, even if the, let's just assume for a moment that they are objective enough or exposed enough to anything other than their own little bubble that they do realize there might be a story lead here um, that when the mayor says, no, under no circumstances will I allow Donald Trump's troops to come to Chicago and terrorize our residents. Like, hey, why don't we explore whether that's a true statement, right? Is it a true statement? Are these troops coming to terrorize? Is that what they're doing? From that same news conference, I played the audio clip. Here's another one. President, I just want to ask you a question about the surge of federal agents to various cities. Yeah. The mayor of Chicago just said moments ago that you're doing this to divert attention from your failures on coronavirus. You are only targeting but cities. We haven't had that failure. You are only targeting cities that are run by Democrats. Is this just a political stunt? So he thinks this might be a political stunt because the mayor of Chicago says it might be a political stunt or she says it is a political stunt to distract everybody from the pandemic and how badly Trump is behaving and handling it. Well, if that's an idea that crosses your mind, here's another idea that could cross your mind. Maybe Democrats are letting their cities burn in order to make Donald Trump look bad. I don't know that's true, uh, but hey, you know what? Why not ask some people? Or is it like Taibbi's rule there, the Taibbi observation that uh, people in the newsroom would be afraid to pitch that kind of a story? Okay, maybe that's a bit inflammatory. How about you just frame it like or pitch it like, hey, um, I don't know, you know, would would this Democrat mayor be more likely to take assistance from the feds if it was a Democrat president? Okay, how about that story? Could you could you write that one up? Could you pitch that one? I will say these these times and the response from local officials has prompted a lot of people to look into protecting themselves in various ways. And if you're one of those people, Old Grouch's military surplus will help you out. Uh, they've got an expanded line of first aid kits and medical supplies for all kinds of emergencies with step-by-step instructions that anybody could follow. Maybe avoid a trip to the hospital. Um, also be able to treat wounds. Uh, on your own. If you live in a remote area, this is a great idea. They also have body armor, all kinds, made to NATO specs. Uh, these are in-store or over-the-phone purchases only, okay? Uh, and so they're not going to be listed on the website. Face masks that are made locally by a disabled veteran family. Out, uh, they make these out of uh, military parachutes. So these masks are lightweight and they are soft. They also have the steel gas cans, the pre-ban Old school ones before GovCo got involved with the regulating of the gas canisters. Um, plus, tons of real U.S. military surplus. For more than three decades, Old Grouch's military surplus on Main Street in downtown Clyde. Yes, the shop is open Monday through Saturday. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. So, even after the announcement uh, that the mayor of Chicago is going to accept now these federal agents to help her get her city under control. Uh, Lightfoot said that, quote, the president has been on a campaign now for some time against Democratic mayors across the country. Well, gee, I wonder why, right? Is it is it a campaign against Democratic mayors to, to notice the fact that you are apparently unable or unwilling to put down insurrection in your cities, right? Is that a campaign against you? Or is that just identifying the very obvious truth, right? My truth, I guess you might call it. That's my truth. <laughs> um, 
What else have we got? Uh, she says, uh, during the riots, rather, that followed, this is off of the National Review story, during the riots that followed the death of George Floyd, uh, during his arrest by Minneapolis police officers, Chicago City Council members criticized the mayor for refusing to deploy the National Guard outside the city's business district. Do you remember this? I think we played the audio from this. And uh, there was an older woman, Susan Sedlowski Garza, who said, my ward is a poop show, except she didn't say poop. They are shooting at the police. I have never seen the likes of this. I am scared. There was another alderman named Raymond Lopez, a frequent critic of Lightfoot, and he said his district was a, quote, virtual war zone, and uh, to which she responded that Lopez was 100% full of poop, but she didn't say poop either. Well, then bleep you, Lopez shot back. Mayor, you need to check your bleeping attitude. <laughs> this is this is the government in Chicago. <laughs> Uh, here's another clip of Trump at that press conference about this very topic. Today you said you're sending federal law enforcement uh, officers to run cities run by extreme politicians, that's the word you used, which who happen to be all Democrats, who have supported Black Lives Matter protests. Millions of Americans voted. Say who supported. No, I said Democrat politicians, and uh, these are the cities where you have the problem. If you look at Chicago, if you look at Detroit, if you look, I mean, look around any of these cities where we have the problems, and we're sending them help, but we're really waiting for them to call for the big help, for the big numbers, for the large numbers of people that we have ready, willing, and able. You look at Chicago, where 14 people were shot yesterday, where over the weekend, many people died and many people were shot. And over the last month, they're setting record numbers. Uh, we are waiting for the mayor, respectfully, and other mayors and governors to call us. We are ready, willing, and able to go in there with great force. Now, we also have people that are going in and arresting drug dealers, arresting some of the shooters that are doing the shooting. We know who they are. We're working with police forces. And even though in some cases they're told don't work with the federal government, the police forces have great respect for the federal government, what we do. But we're ready, willing, and able to go into these cities that are just being decimated with shooting, and we're going to help. Speaking of help, by the way, do you need help with your business's website? Now more than ever, you know you need to turn up in search engine results. You want your site to look professional. You want it to be user-friendly, not just for the customer, but also for you so you can keep it updated. Um, and while you do know your business, I'm sure, you might not know a lot about website design and maintenance. But my friend Schaefer Smith does. Schaefer Smith Design. Great design can actually solve a lot of your website's problems. Professional services, corporate, small business, entrepreneurs, Schaefer Smith can help you, all right, with graphics and photos and online stores, search engine optimization, website maintenance and security. He does logos. He did my logo for the show. Go to SchaeferSmith.com and get the most out of your website. That's SchaeferSmith.com. There was a radio host in Seattle. Have you heard this story about this guy, Paul Gallant or Gallant? I'm not sure. Uh, he's a Seattle radio host, and according to the post-millennial story by Mia Cathel, she says she calls him a Twitter-based criminal defense advocate. <laughs> so I'm not sure. I'm not sure what that means. He's a radio host. I'm not sure if he's a lawyer or something, but it just sounds like he goes on to Twitter and defends every criminal. Anyway, this guy Paul Gallant last month. Uh, Trump said that uh, you know the riots are all violent. You just heard Trump saying it again there. And so this guy Gallant goes on to Twitter and he, you know, in your face, Mike drop dunks on the president saying that the riots. No, 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 they're not violent at all. He sends out a tweet that says, I just walked through last night out of curiosity and I saw no burning or pillaging or deaths. 
Um, so then he says, chill, dog. Right? Last night, Gallant had a sudden change of heart towards the peaceful protesters. Peaceful protesters. When he came home to his apartment complex, that was vandalized. He found <laughs> he found the Starbucks underneath uh, at the street level broken into, graffiti plastered on the storefront. Cops told residents to stay away in case of explosives inside. So he says he you know he was defending criminals before, but now he's pretty mad. He's angry. He said, I'm really angry right now. He and his cat ventured out after he witnessed I'm not making this up. He and his cat ventured out. Why would you bring your cat out into this mayhem? Anyway, uh, he ventures, uh, they venture out after he witnessed a fire roaring three blocks away. He said on Twitter, quote, I feel like I need to buy a firearm because clearly this is going to keep happening. Enough is enough. <laughs> So, right, right. so it's all peaceful protesting when Trump says it's violent. But now, oh my gosh, look at all the violence. Gosh, I hope some peace breaks out pretty soon around here. Meanwhile, down in Seattle, the police chief tells business owners, um, you guys are pretty much on your own for your property protection because we're not going to go help you. Um, not kidding. Seattle police chief Carmen Best. Now, I actually think she wants to try to protect businesses and to tr I think she wants to do her duty here, but she's being uh, handcuffed by the Seattle City Council. Last month, the city council passed a measure that bans police from using blast balls, pepper spray and other tools to quell riots and basically defend themselves. According to Red State's Jeff Charles, he says on Thursday, a, fed a federal judge temporarily blocked the ordinance from taking effect. And the police chief wrote a letter to the legislative body, which also wishes to cut the department's budget by 50 percent. Does any of this sound familiar, by the way? Folks in uh, Charlotte have already seen them do this, the, the, the banning of all the pepper spray and such. Um, Asheville, there's a push for it here as well, as, along with the defunding. And I always ask this question. So what are police supposed to do when a peaceful protest turns violent like right at 10 p.m as they always seem to do when all the peaceful people leave and all the violent people then swap out right they all show up for the violence uh, and all the peaceful people are like okay we're going home we were peaceful and uh, what what exactly are the police supposed to do then crack skulls with their batons and shields uh, like genuinely curious have you thought this through what's the what's the the response supposed to look like right now, I can tell you uh, what the Blue Ridge Mountains are supposed to look like, because you go to redrockphotonc.com and you'll see all of the photographs, and that is what it looks like. It's gorgeous. If you've not seen the Blue Ridge Mountains through the lens of Stacy Redman, you are missing out. Go to redrockphotonc.com. Stacy's from Western North Carolina. He's been shooting landscapes for two decades. I've told the story before. Uh, he realized, look, life is really short. And I'm spending all my time working. I'm spending time away from my family. And uh, I don't want that. So I want to do what I want to do. I'm going to chase this dream and spend more time with my daughter. And his work uh, is brilliant. It is striking. And it's easily affordable for any space. Massive spaces, small spaces. He, uh, he's got a variety of uh, photographs. Go to redrockphotonc.com and use the promo code. Don't forget this. Pete. It's my name. That's why we determined that. Pete, use the promo code Pete and get 20% off. That's redrockphotonc.com. All right, so the Seattle police chief, after uh, this motion by the city council to 
ban all of the like the non-lethal uh, response that cops could use to violent rioters. Um, she then sends out this letter. She says, quote, it is a fact. She sent this to, to Seattle business owners. She says, it is a fact that there are groups and individuals who are intent on destruction in our city. Yes, we have also uh, seen weeks of peaceful demonstrations, but two recent events, uh, which were Sunday, July 19th and Wednesday, July 22nd, they have included wide-scale property destruction and attacks on officers injuring more than a dozen, some significantly, she wrote. By the way, up the road in Portland, you've got the federal uh, agents that were deployed there. Some of them have permanent blindness because of the lasers that these Antifa leftist communist thugs are uh, shining in their eyes, right? I don't understand how anybody can look at what we're seeing there and think that it's the cops' fault there, but whatever. Um, she continued noting that the planned protests will likely result in the same type of violence. She said, quote, This weekend we know that several events are planned across the city that will foreseeably involve many of the same violent actors from recent days. There is no reason not to assume we will continue to experience property destruction, arson, looting, and attempts to injure additional officers throughout the weekend and beyond. She then said that she is not willing to place her officers in danger if they don't possess the tools necessary to defend themselves. She says, under these circumstances, as created by counsel, we cannot manage demonstrations as we have in the past. If I am not allowed to lawfully equip officers with the tools they have been trained to use to protect community and themselves, it would be reckless to have them confront this level of violence under the current legal restrictions. So... You're on your own, business owners. That's what she says. She's not going to put her officers in harm's way when they can't defend themselves. So business owners, you get to defend your business now. We'll see how that goes. All right, that's a wrap for this episode. Please remember, subscribe to the podcast. Give it a positive review. Maybe become a patron of the program. You get cool stuff and exclusive content. Uh, links are all at thepetecalendarshow.com or in the description of this very podcast. Thanks so much for the support. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.